John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14. Reading from the expanded Bible version. In the beginning, there was a word. There was the word. And the word was, or the word refers to Christ. I'm so used to King James. God's revelation of himself. The word was in the presence of an intimate relationship with God. And the word was fully God. John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became a human being and moved into our neighborhood. (laughs) I want to speak to you this morning on the subject God's logo. God's logo. Um, There are many logos in the world, and this one, let me see if you can tell me what this logo is, anybody? Okay, that was very quick, very good, very good. Uh, And interesting, as I was researching this logo, discovered that uh, the reason for the swoosh is, which it's called a swoosh just in case you didn't know, uh, is because Nike is named after uh, the Greek goddess Victory. In fact, the word Nike or Nicholas or Nicole, they actually mean victory or conqueror of people. Uh, Nike was founded as a running shoe, as a running shoe in 1971, and the, the swoosh represents the wings of this goddess which signifies speed. Let's see if you can guess this next logo. (laughs) Now, this Apple logo is very interesting because there's there's a whole bunch of urban legend about this Apple uh, logo. Some think it's, some people get real deep and say, well, it was, you know, man taking the bite of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Some are a little witty and saying this represents uh, a computer byte, B-Y-T-E. But uh, the designer of the logo says, you know what, I love those urban legends, but the bottom line is the reason why we put the bite in is because when you scale the logo, we wanted to make sure that people did not uh, mistake the apple for a cherry. I know, you were unimpressed, but that's the reason for the bite. (laughs) Uh, You see, a logo is a graphic representation of a symbol or a symbol of a company name that is often uniquely designed to be readily recognizable, which is what you did. As soon as the swish went up, you said Nike. As soon as the apple went up, you went Apple. It should be easily recognizable. It is a tool to build an identity for the organization in order to generate 
favorable thoughts and feelings about the organization. A logo needs to be original and memorable to have its greatest impact. And so you may say, well, what does this, what does logo have to do with the scriptures you just read? Well, that scripture says, in the beginning was the word. And it also says the word dwelt or became a human being and lived among us. That word, word, is a Greek word. The New Testament was written in Greek. And it's the Greek word logos, from which we get our English word logo. So when God wanted a logo to represent his brand, when God wanted a graphic representation that easily was recognizable of who he is, when God wanted to build or wanted a tool to build an identity of who he was, the logo he sent was a person, his only son, named Jesus. Uh, today is a special day, not simply because it's Easter, but it's a special day for us at Pentecostal Tabernacle because we are unveiling and launching our new church logo. Amen. After years and years, uh, this logo, this new logo will become a graphic image that will represent Pentecostal Tabernacle. This is going to be the tool that will help build our identity around the world. This image, next image, was our old logo, and it represented, as you can see, the 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 the, um, the circles. It, it it's not master charge. Uh, the circles are getting brighter and brighter because our mission is restoring broken lives, and so as the circles got uh, more richer, it indicated that a life was being restored by the glory of God. But this is our new logo. And our new logo, as you see, it shows PT, but it's not really simply PT. It's a P and the cross. The P is not important. It is the cross. And why the cross is so important is because there are three things that happened on the cross. That if we would understand that whether you know Jesus Christ as your Savior or whether you've never received him, the cross is so important for your well-being and your being who God has created you to be. Because some of you, no, many of you are operating, uh, you, you have, you're like a Jaguar, you have 12 cylinders and you're only operating on four. And as good as that look, tell somebody next to you, God has more for you. Turn to somebody else and say, so much more. Ah, so much more. 
so much more. There are three things that happened on the cross that you really, you and I really need to make sure that we grab a hold of. Number one, Christ's body was broken on the cross for my healing and yours. Isaiah, you know, you know God wants to get this point across when he says it twice. You know God wants to get across when he says it in the Old Testament and then he says it again in the New Testament like, no, I really want you to get this. And he says, uh, but Jesus was wounded for the wrong we did. He was crushed for the evil we did. The punishment which made us well and brought us wholeness and peace was given to him. He took the punishment. And because he took the punishment, we are healed and we are restored because of his wounds or his laceration. To make you understand why Jesus had to take that punishment and died, a few years ago, uh, our church decided to pay off a large water bill for um, a church that owed money to the city of Cambridge. Um, the treasurer, the city treasurer, was a very good friend of mine. I I've known him since I was 16. So I went and, and spoke to him and I said, you know, ask him, could, we, could you help out this church? Could you, watch this, could you do a favor for me? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Brian, we can't simply forgive the debt because the water was already spent. Watch this. Someone has to pay. So we as PT, we paid the water bill for the church. God, unlike us, he is holy and he is righteous. Which means, unlike us, we make promises to ourselves. Okay? Now, I'm just going to look at the clock so you don't feel bad, but we make promises to ourselves like we join a gym. Bless the Lord. Mm -hmm. And we nobody joins the gym and pays $60 a month to just light it on fire and throw it away. Can I get a witness out there? I know, okay, amen. There's one witness because some of you, are, some of you, some of you, you already broke your New Year's resolution <laughs> before daylight savings time. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Help me, Holy Spirit. We break promises to ourselves. We break our own promises. We break our own commitments. God can't do that because he is purely righteous. So, because he can't break his own laws, he, he can't even break his own laws simply because he loves us. He can't break his own... Come on, have you... Parents, help Jesus. And, and oh, God, help you grandparents. Next time you do that, you're going to get a whooping. They do it. Next time you do that, you're going to get a real whooping. You do that. Next, another eight time. 
Okay, God can't do that. When God says it once, he has to follow through because he's righteous. He can't even break his own rules. Because if he broke his own rules, he would cease to be God because he says, I am God and I don't lie. So he couldn't break his own rules. Thus, he cannot, watch this, he cannot forgive the debt of our sin. Why? Because we already spent a good portion of our lives sinning. You may say that's not so. Jesus talks about if you get really, really angry, you've already murdered somebody. Jesus said, if if you look on a person with lust, you've already committed adultery. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Jesus talks about evil thoughts and, and jealousy and anxiety. You may say, well, what about innocent babies? Have you ever not giving your child what they wanted? Psychologists say the anger of a child when it doesn't get what it wants is murderous. They just can't do it. Come on, folks. Don't look at me like that. And if, if, you, if you're looking at me like that, that means you haven't had a child. How many of you, when you didn't give your child something as a baby, your child hit you? Come on. I mean, hit you. And if the child wasn't one year old, you'd be like, you know what? You say like, I'm going to see you in five years. Child be like, oh, I'm a Pam. What was that for? Four years ago. <laughs> Told you I'd get you. <laughs> oh, I'm having a good time up here. So because of the sin, once we become mindful of the fact that we need a savior, we have to realize somebody had to pay for the sin we spent doing. Whether we come to Christ at 7 or 70 or 117, they said that recently in the news that the last person, known person, Born in the 19th century has passed away. 117. It doesn't matter. You spent sin. And, and, and see, God said, and that's why God had to send his son, because he says, my law book says, the payment for sin is death. And then he goes on to say, and this is in uh, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and then he says, and don't even, don't even try to figure out if you sin or not, because he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and follow short of the glory of God. In other words, if you were, they say that the, the symbol of law is, is, uh, is, is a scale. And, and, and the fact that when we are tipped in the scales, we are found lacking. And the only one who can tip the scales in our favor is Jesus. Right. 
So his body was broken on the cross so that we could be restored. Christ's blood was shed on the cross so that I could be set free. This scripture, I memorized in the King James Version, but I really love this scripture. It, it helps me, it reminds me of what the blood did for me and why Jesus had to wear a crown, a crown of thorns that showed blood coming down from the crown of his head. Because Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 in the, in the Luke Living Translation says, Just think how much more surely the blood of Christ will transform our lives and our hearts. His sacrifice frees our minds from the worry of having to obey the old rules and makes us want to serve the living God. For by the help of the eternal spirit, Christ willingly gave himself to God to die for our sins, he being without sin and fault. In other words, the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ sets my conscience free from doing dead works, things I don't want to do, so that now I'm free to serve God. I want my mind free. I want my mind, watch this, I want my mind free of people's opinion. The blood of Jesus does that. Sets my mind free. I like what Paul said, because he was one guy who said, you know what, I, I, I was struggling with my mind, struggling with my thought life, struggling with my self-identity, but he said, you know, that he talked about the blood, and then he says this, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, uh, in, the good new, in the good God's Word translation and also uh, Message Bible, he says, as for me, it's unthinkable. And this is why the cross is so important for Pentecostal Tabernacle. It's unthinkable that I could ever brag about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, say that with me, because of that cross. Because of that cross, my interest in all the attractive things of the world was killed. I have been set free. Oh, that was powerful. Because when I was a teenager and, and, and I used to hang out with the boys. I used to hang out with the boys. And they would take out those funny cigarettes that you can't buy at the store. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can now, unfortunately. <laughs> And they're like, hey, Green, you want one? And I was like, no, I, I, I had no desire. My mind was set free. My mind was not only set free from doing that, but my mind was set free through the cross from being intimidated by them to try to be one of the fellas. Yes. And what eventually happened is that instead of me trying to be like them, they were trying to be like me because of the cross. Uh, you need to clap right there. You need to clap right there. Because people really need to see what a man and a woman of God is. That's why Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's amazing. I've been married 34 years. And it's amazing that, that people don't clap for somebody who, you know, who has been, you know, yeah, I've been in adultery for 34 years. No one will be clapping. They'll be like, huh? But when I say I've been married for 34 years, I've been faithful to my wife, I love my wife, people usually clap. 
No, people usually clap. I mean, people. <laughs> Only messing with you. Only messing with you. But it's because of the power of the cross. I'm not special. So I can only glory in the cross. I can't take credit for that. And Paul says, and so Paul goes on and says, uh, I have been set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into their little patterns that they dictate. Oh man, that, that, that is, I need to give somebody, tell somebody next to you, you need to be free. Come on, man, why don't you drink? Come on, man, why don't you have sex? Why don't you? I'm free from that. I'm free from your opinion. The only opinion that matters because of the cross is my Lord. I ain't following you. I'm look, I see where your life is headed. Yo, man, you and my roommate and girlfriend broke your windshield because you were cheating on her. Think I want that kind of drama? Think I want to be walking to class like, who are you looking for? Yo, man, I, you know, Cindy found all that I was, you come on. <laughs> Tell your neighbors, I think he's talking about you. Anyway. <laughs> look, look, folks. I want my conscience free. I want my conscience free. I want my life free. Free. Watch this. Mm. Free also from opinions of myself. Some of you, if the truth be told, the hardest person on you is not the devil. It's you. You point out all your flaws. You're not light enough. You're not dark enough. Your hair's not kinky enough. Your hair's not straight enough. You're not thin enough. You're not fat enough. You're not smart enough. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not. You need to be free of your opinion. Watch this. You need, this is good. You need to be free of your self-conscience and get God's conscience. And the beautiful thing about the cross is that the value of a thing is not what the price says, it's the price paid. There's a house right behind us, next door. It costs almost a million dollars. When I tell people from out of the state, they're like, you're out of your mind. But the point is, is that it, the price may be something else in another part of the country, but someone paid almost a million dollars for that. So the, ins- the issue is that not what the price is, but, but the price paid. And so therefore, the price that was paid so that I could be God conscious is Jesus' blood. That means you're valuable. Don't you ever say I'm not valuable. That's a smack in the face of God. So the cross represents, again, um, Christ's body broken for me. His blood shed for me, got my freedom, got my healing. Finally, God's boundary was removed for my access. God's boundary was removed for my access. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 15 says, When Jesus died, then the curtain of the temple 
was torn in two pieces from the top to the bottom, representing new access to the presence of God. Also, the earth shook, and the the rocks broke apart. There was this barrier between God and man. Let's say Jamie here, if you could raise your hand so people is man and I'm God and you know we're trying to get in the presence of God. We're trying to get a sense that this this thing in us that is longing to get back to our God and so we find you know new age and all sorts of other things to find to try to get to God. And 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 so the Bible says that when Jesus was killed on the throne, sorry, killed on the cross, the Bible says that the veil that separated man from God, man wanting access to God, was torn from the top down, meaning that God initiated the access point and that that veil was Jesus Christ. His body was ripped apart so that now I can have access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. My ticket to the access of the presence of God is his blood. His blood removed all boundaries so that I can have access to God and I can go to him anytime, any place. There's a difference between knowing in your head and knowing in your heart. The cross is not an explanation. The cross is a revelation. I, I can't explain why this cross will change, has changed my life and the life of billions of people. I can't explain it. I can't explain, but the same way, I can't explain why when I turn up, when I flip a switch, the lights come on. I mean, an electrician can, but I can't explain it. I can't explain why, no, I can stand here with a computer or a phone and, and talk to somebody halfway around the world. I can't explain that. But I get the revelation because I use the phone all the time. The cross is a revelation of, notice, the cross. The cross, are you with me? And then the cross. The cross is a revelation, vertical, of how I can see God for who he is. He's a good, good father. And he loves me. The cross is also an indication of how I see others. When I look at my wife or my children or my church members, watch this, or even my enemies through the cross, they look differently. That's why Stephen can look at people who are murdering him through the cross and say, Father, don't hold this against them. Only the cross can do that. Only the cross. You want to be free from your anger? You want to be free from your resentment. You want to be free from things that you've been holding against family members for years. You want to be free of, of, of things that you feel guilty for decades ago. Your solution is through the cross. And this is why we need Jesus. He's the only one, the only means by which we can see the truth. The truth of who we really are. The truth of who God really is. And what God really is, He's a good, good Father.